0: Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Cassidy Cook, and this podcast is going to showcase my book, Liquid Lineage. So first things first, we are headed into this week's summary of chapter 5. And at this point in the book, it's totally okay to think you know what's happening. However, what is not okay is to not have a clue what's happening. So if that's you, I greatly apologize. I do not want any of my listeners to be confused. It's imperative to me that we are all on the same page. Literally. That's why I want to do these summary sections. I want them to be somewhat of a conversation corner. Because you see, in my mind, I picture podcast books as extremely difficult to follow because unlike an audiobook, you don't get to decide when to stop reading, I decide for you. You also don't have the same luxury of looking back on previous paragraphs or pages if you get lost, like you would with a physical book in spite of this i would love if you have any questions or input of any kind be it constructive criticism i can handle it or support just shoot me a message on instagram at liquid lineage podcast and i will be answering all of your questions in these summary sections at the beginning of each and every episode because i know i need all the help i can get I am learning as I go and needing nothing more than for my weak spots to be acknowledged and hopefully, eventually, improved. Okay, onward and upward. Spoilers ahead. If you were here for last week's episode, you already know that... Lachlan positioned himself and Meredith in the upstairs bedroom, Meredith attempting to ease her husband's woes, while Crane is in the study, reading Lachlan's latest diary entry. Last week was somewhat of a filler episode, meaning strategically informative and foundational to the character and story building. I hope you are ready to jump into this week because you are listening to Episode 6, Chapter 6. Okay, before we get into the chapter, last week on Instagram I did a Q&A asking listeners what kind of cupcakes the Luker kids made in Chapter 5. No one answered. It was chocolate, you losers. You guys are the worst. Just kidding. You're the best, and I love you. Okay, enough. Let's get into it. Welcome to a fresh morning, where the Lucas are waking up sporadically between 4 a.m. and 11.30. Lachlan, an annoyingly repetitive early riser, is the first tribesman to anchor his feet to the floor shortly after 4.40 on this day. Mercy tumbles in at 6, and Lachlan remains in bed, reading. He slithers out from under the covers, hoists her on his back, and takes her down to the center room for coffee and orange juice. Rowan roams near soon after 7.30, Meredith at 9.12, and last, Crane, at 11.17. On most days out of the month, the members are equally hermetic, closed off and quiet, keeping to themselves and to their individual passions. It's not abnormal for a member of the family to go missing for hours or even a day, due to the sheer size of this house, and also for their love of secrecy. It's also not abnormal to hear voices or footsteps and not know in what direction they're coming from, the way these echoes bounce off the solid walls, objects, fixtures, floors, and doors. For example, today, Crane only awoke when Meredith put on a record an old favorite of hers called Little Boat by some gruff singer from an unknown era. Once the needle is placed between the gentle grooves on the seemingly flat surface, a wave of nostalgia overcomes her and a familiar crackle fills the room as the melody emanates outwards and upwards. When the pleasant sounding tunes leak like water under his bedroom door and climb up the legs of his bed frame, Crane slowly opens his eyes, He feels the harmonious vibrations wrap around him like a warm blanket of pure energy, coaxing him out of his slumber. He swings his legs over the side of the bed dressed in lavender sheets, crane dressed in blue, and launches himself off of it, levitating down towards the source of the enchantment. Once he reaches the bottom step of the grand staircase, he sees his mother, dressed in lavender, dancing ethereally in the yellow morning sunlight. Her long, lace robes sweep dust off the hard golden floor and flick it up in the air, creating a sparkle effect in the space around her. He stands transfixed, focused on his first love, Meredith, as Crane thinks of how precious moments like this truly are and how he wishes there could be more of them. The simple way the soft hues of the early morning hours blend beautifully with this woman and the ambiance she so effortlessly creates is seriously surreal. Good morning, Crane says to Meredith, whose eyes are ironically closed but looking up to the ceiling. Her arms are spread wide and loose as she continues dancing. Good afternoon, Crane, Lachlan intercepts the focus of the conversation and puts it on himself as he exits the kitchen, carrying Mercy in his right and a mug of coffee in his left. Collectively, they enter the main room, and when he bends down, Lachlan places Mercy on the carpet gently, so not to spill his coffee or the orange juice she is carrying. Well, almost, afternoon, he continues sarcastically while readjusting his shirt after Murr pulled it over to one side. Before Lachlan heads upstairs to get dressed for an outing of his own, Crane notices his expression. His father looked sunken in today, hollow or dehydrated or both. Strangely, Lachlan chose today to use his second-to-last mask, a slightly more haggard and fragmented appearance which suits his necessities for the time being just fine. But, unbeknownst to Crane, was the reason why his father had, in his opinion, wasted one of his two remaining masks. All he knows for certain is that whatever is demanding of his father's attention must be of immediate importance. Lachlan takes an intentionally large sip of the black elixir in his now right palm, Sniffs and sighs audibly. Prior to ascending to the master closet to construct the most perfect costume, he says, hey, everyone listen. As he extends his leg, kinks his knee, and leans against the edge of the wall, he continues, we need to have a talk about what we found yesterday afternoon. Crane's heart was beating so fast it suddenly felt like last night's thunderstorm made a home of his ribcage. He knew unmistakably all the dirt had been thoroughly pressure washed many a times from under his nail beds, but he checked again here, just to be sure. Lachlan sucks his teeth and continues. Well, I was up all night and I have made arrangements to meet with some experts who might help us figure out what or who may have hurt the forest. He looks down at Mercy and winks before turning to Meredith and, simultaneously, his features fall flat, drops his hand to meet her perfectly wavy bed head and grabs a piece of it towards the front of her skull, twirling it in between his index middle finger and thumb. Making direct eye contact with her as he does this, in a monotone way, he hisses. Be sure to turn on the news at 5 o'clock. You all may be the last to know, but the kids are going to want to see their father on the big screen. Mercy exclaims in excitement when she hears this nugget of new information, and Lachlan turns to exit the room in the direction of the stairs. Halfway up, he yells down to Mercy. Don't play in the forest today, Mercy. It's not safe. Not until I say so. She is quiet and nods, although he has already returned to climbing. The patriarch must come across as approachable for the tasks that are afoot, but of equal priority is the feeling of strength and uniformity he must exude. Reaching his and Meredith's room, Lachlan swings open the burnt orange frosted glass door to his closet. The clementine aura surrounding the armoire sends Lachlan into a power-hungry frenzy. He emits boastful confidence despite the gargantuan plan he will have to adhere to starting the second he leaves this house on a hill. Once the ensemble is established, escaping the walls of the master bedroom, Lachlan uncharacteristically gallops down the golden staircase and dives somewhat preemptively into the early evening mist. The air feels light and crisp outside of the mansion. Lachlan takes a deep, prolonged inhale as he opens the SUV's driver's side door, inserts himself inside, and melts smoothly down the mountain. The sterling white vehicle cruises down the winding road, and he finds himself lost in his own thoughts, staring blankly in the way of the road in front of him. As the scenery passes by in a mix of blurry greens, the radio hums in the background, but he hardly notices. Just prior to regaining awareness, He finds himself parked at the station, third spot from the front. He looks around and thinks, lucky find, because the parking lot is already bustling with white vans, camera crews, and umbrellas to preserve the reporters from the sun. He learns quickly that it is much less cool and crisp down here when he releases the door handle. His left leg hits the pavement and a whoosh of thick air chokes him. His throat feels tight and constricted when Lachlan reaches up to loosen his tie a notch. His unobstructed chest reminds him that he's not wearing one. He leaves the scorching pavement behind and enters the silver-framed doors into the equally stifling police station. Obnoxiously loud and clanky fans stir the heat in circles. As he continues past them, he hears from behind, Lachlan Lucre says the newbie HBIC. You can bet Lachlan did his research on this one. Detective Aubergine, he responds, paired well with an outstretched right hand. As they and their flesh meet for the first time, Aubergine takes note of the Lucre father's facial hair. Looking like it was a long night for you, boss, he says as he turns to the right where there is a half-full coffee pot sitting on a mid-sized filing cabinet. Here, he says empathetically, as he hands the momentarily puny man that is Lachlan Lucre, a white styrofoam cup. Thank you, chief. He manipulatively takes a sip, oddly using both hands, portraying himself intentionally as ungrounded, unsecure, emotional, and unaware of himself, which is everything he is not. He does things like this on purpose, taking voluntary losses only when and where they don't matter like when it comes to a rookie detective's opinion of him. It is quite intoxicating for Lachlan, in fact, to be seen as anything other than what he truly is. The element of surprise engorges him, especially when it's executed perfectly. If he can pretend to fail at hiding shame or weakness from the public over something he sees as minute, They will be utterly deaf to believing anything worse than what they already believe he is morally capable of. Lachlan is deep in his thoughts once again as he trails behind Aubergine, who leads him to the farthest corner of the office. Aubergine motions to the fraying brown chair in front of Lachlan and says, Welcome to my humble abode. As he walks around to the other side, Lachlan thinks, Was that a slight? Still standing and staring at the already-seated detective, he continues in his thoughts. A mere jealous rat, attempting to make me feel raw and exposed about my mountain and my mansion, almost to say you are only the way you are because you have what you have. And in that very moment, Lachlan knew that the small man act wasn't going to work especially when speaking to a man that, without a doubt, knows he is smaller than Lachlan in every way. Smaller in stature, smaller in influence, affluence, and resolve. He escapes that mental conspiracy, though, and takes a seat directly across the desk from the chief, and a conversation opens up between the two of them regarding the upcoming interview. Later today, April 5th, at five o seven p.m., the majorly well received news station, Net Six, will be speaking to the Peculiar Lucre Patriarch, where he will be impressively backed by the Yellow Hills P.D. Back at home, though, a half hour before five, the kids have dispersed throughout the house, and Crane is in his room, currently drowning in a vat of fear. He has been isolating himself all day away from the rest of the family in an attempt to console his inconsolable anxiety. In his child brain, Crane's father is scheduled to unknowingly imprison his own son on live television in approximately 27 minutes. He runs one palm over the other and, flicking it, slicks the cold sweat droplets that cease to quit forming onto the floor like spit. Crane has a strange feeling that his body is currently being baptized against his will, in an ironic act of stealing his own autonomy. Free will who? He scoffs as Mercy punts the door open and sees him sitting on the bed, staring at six small water specks on the floor. Daddy's on TV. She can barely get it out in time before disappearing down the hall and descending down to the center room to watch with Meredith and Rowan. Crane peels from his previous resting place, reluctantly removing himself from his bedroom, and walks in the direction Mercy came. His bare feet stick to the shiny metal floor, with each step his moist skin gripping the dry surface. Taking his time, he is haunted by the possibilities of what is possibly about to happen. Approaching the TV and the majority of his family, he joins Rowan on a love seat to the left, But due to his lackadaisical pace here, he catches the end of the broadcast when Lachlan finishes by answering a woman anchor's unknown question. Of course I am cautious, he states. I acknowledge the magnitude of the claim I am making, but what I also acknowledge is this. Our city may be on a slippery slope when it comes to what is newly inhabiting the forest. We don't know what it is or who it is. We don't know what it wants or who it wants, and my family is up there, miss. Despite what they might tell you, there isn't much help in the sky. We fend for ourselves up there, but when we need our community to come together and assist with our safety, we can only hope that we are able to convince you enough that it is in your benefit as well. Thank you. Lachlan removes himself swiftly from the podium, and Crane sees the red title scroll at the bottom of the screen. Reading it simultaneously, him and Rowan say aloud, Terrorists in the trees of Yellow Hills? And look at each other, speechless, for once. Meredith pushes herself off of the armchair she was watching in, hands the remote to Crane and says with a smile, Don't worry. I recorded it. Thank you again for joining me on this week's episode. I truly appreciate it, especially if you're staying until the very end of each episode. I cannot express to you how grateful I am. I have a few of you that are genuinely supporting me and it just means the world to me. So I want to extend my gratitude and thank you at the end of every episode and be sure to follow me on Liquid Lineage Podcast and message me if you have any questions or advice or input or constructive criticism, like I said, anything, any of the above, or if you just want to stop in and say hi, I'm super happy with that as well. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode and I hope to see you next week. But until then, stay solid. See ya!